Today in our lesson, we're going to be talking about some things that make us appreciate the fact how grand it is indeed to be a Christian, and I'm excited about presenting this lesson this morning, and I hope it'll be something that will be an encouragement to you who are Christians, but those of you who are here today and are not Christians, I hope it'll be an encouragement to you uh, to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, and I'm going to read for you uh, verses 13 through 17. Uh, Roger, I don't know if you just happened to look at the same page that was in your Bible, because what you read is on the same page as chapter 15, but you're reading out of chapter 14. And uh, that can happen very easily. I've done that before. Many years ago, uh, when I was preaching in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, me and a guy by the name of Ed Jones, you may remember him, he came and held a meeting for us several years ago, but we had a radio talk show where people would call in and talk about religious things. And we always would have a theme, because you had to have a theme to keep things uh, rolling. And one of the the themes we had one uh, week or one day during a week was the wisdom of Solomon. And for some reason... That entire show, that lasted an hour, that entire show, I called Solomon Samson. And it made no sense to talk about the wisdom of Samson. And so um, it's very easy sometimes to lose your place, especially when you're in front of some people. But I want to read for you uh, John 15, beginning at verse 13, as an introduction to our lesson today. Jesus says, Greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servants knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordain you that ye should go and Go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Zero in on verse 14, the very first part of it. And I want you to think for just a moment what Jesus says. He says, you are my friends. Let that sink in just for a moment. Let that, as it does my mind, boggle your mind just for a moment. You may not have any other friends on this earth. There may not be someone that is close enough that you might call a a friend, but there's one friend you're always going to have, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us in this scripture that both you and I are his friends. Contemplate that for a second. And as we contemplate that, I want you to think about for a second, how do you define the word friend? Jesus says he is our friend. Now, what does that mean? How do you define that? If you had to give someone a definition of what a friend is, what would you tell them? 
Now, what's interesting, we could go around the room this morning, and I could ask each and every one of you to define friend for me, and I'd bet I'd get a different answer from each and every one of you. It's funny, if you go through the Internet or your bookshelf and you open up a dictionary and you start looking up the definition of friend in the dictionary or on Google, none of the things listed there does it justice. It really doesn't describe what a friend is. It tries, but describing what a friend is really is hard to put into words. But I think each and every one of us knows what a friend is. You see, being a friend is what happened to a young man by the name of Ian or Ian O'Gorman, who was a 10-year-old boy that got cancer when he was 10, and because of the cancer that he had, he had to uh, undergo a series of chemotherapy treatments that caused his hair to fall out. When one of his friends saw what was happening to him, he talked to all his other friends and had every boy in his class shave his head, and when they asked him why he had all the boys do that, he said, because he's my friend. I did not want him to stand out. I did not want him to feel different. He's my friend. We may not be able to define what friendship is, but, but friendship and being a friend is what happened to a baseball player by the name of Jackie Robinson. Uh, those of you who are younger may not remember uh, about Jackie Robinson and, and the history, historical way that he was brought in to play for the Brooklyn Dodgers many years ago. He was the very first African-American player to break what they called the color barrier. And this was in the, in the, the 40s, so you can imagine uh, how much animosity, how much hate, how much uh, rancor he received from the different places that he played because this was something that, that was so unusual and there were some people who were dead set against it. So oftentimes he would go to baseball stadiums and all he would hear would be jeers and, and hateful things. The story is told in 1947. He was playing a road trip at the stadium there in Cincinnati, Ohio. And there's some discussion about exactly what happened, if this was at the beginning of the game or during the game. But the story is told that he, while playing second base, made a terrible error and let the ball get by him. And this caused a run to be scored. And the people in the stadium just went crazy, screaming and hollering and calling him all kinds of names and jeering at him. But there was a, another baseball by the player by the name of Pee Wee Reese that walked over in the middle of that game and put his arm around Jackie Robinson. And after a little bit, the crowd got very quiet. The crowd got very silent. And then there was a smattering of applause beginning in the stands, almost like you would see in a movie, until everybody in the place began clapping. It was just a gesture of friendship, but it was something that's so memorable that there's even a statue to it now. When P. Ree Reese came over and put his arm around Jackie Robinson because Jackie Robinson was his friend. Now, we really can't define the word friend, but, but we know what it means and we know what it feels like. 
The Native Americans, if you translate their word for friend, uh, literally it means one who carries my sorrows on his back. Many years ago, there was a British publication that decided to have a contest where they would give some money away of if somebody, if everyone would send in their best definition for friend. Because once again, it's so hard to define what does the word friend mean. And they had all kinds of, of, of things submitted. These are some of the ones that they submitted. Uh, one who understands our silence. Another one submitted... Uh, Someone who knows all about you and doesn't tell anyone. Somebody else submitted, someone who knows the worst about you and still loves you. But the one that won the contest was this one. A friend is the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. But what's interesting, we have somebody who actually did defined friend for us. We have someone who gave us what being a friend is all about. Being a friend is about sacrifice. It's about love. It's about what is doing best for the other person because Jesus tells us, here is the definition of a friend. In verse 13 of John chapter 15, it says, Greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. There, Jesus tells us the true definition of friendship. Now, I don't know if you have a friend like that, but I know you do because all of us have a friend, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus was a friend to all while he was on this earth, He was a friend, of course, to children. In Matthew chapter 19, is this one of the passages where we have Jesus interacting with children? And he makes the statement that, you know, don't forbid the children to come to see me. Uh, To paraphrase, I want to see them. He says, suffer the little children to come unto me. And, of course, as he gets there, he lays his hand on them, and he talks about how that, that we need to be like these little children, for such is the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus was a friend to children in a day and age when there were oftentimes people who were not very friendly to children because of the way society was. But Jesus was also a friend to the poor. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 5, in the latter part of it, a proclamation about what Jesus was doing while he was on this earth. It says, and the poor heard the gospel preached to them. There were those in the world at this time who had nothing to do with the poor. They were outcasts. But Jesus went to them and told them and brought to them and gave them the most wonderful thing he could ever give someone. And that is the good news of the gospel. Uh, Jesus was also uh, a friend to the sick. Matthew 14, 14 uh, talks about Jesus seeing the sick and having compassion upon them, and he healed them. In fact, as you think about Jesus, you think about the fact that while Jesus was on this earth, he was a friend to all. Paul gives us a synopsis of this in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28 when he says there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor are free, neither male nor female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. 
And we have a good example of this in John chapter 4. When Jesus is in a city in Samaria, and a woman comes to the well where he is sitting, and this woman was a woman, and in that day and age you had nothing to do with a woman if you were a man. And she was a Samaritan, and if you were a Jew living in this day and age, you had nothing to do with this Samaritan. But because Jesus is a friend to all, and he sees no distinction with people, he asked this woman for a drink of water and began a discussion where he talked to this Samaritan woman and eventually caused her to believe in him and to bring others to come and listen to him so he could tell them the good news of salvation. Jesus was a friend to all when he was on this earth. But in a very special way, Jesus is a friend to sinners. Jesus is a friend to sinners because Jesus died for sinners. Greater love hath no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. I don't know if you've ever heard this story before or not, but a guy by the name of Colonel John Massu, who fought in the Vietnam War, tells the story that took place while he was in Vietnam about how there was a Vietnam village that was bombarded with mortar shells. And in the process of that village being bombarded, um, there was an orphanage that was hit with mortar rounds, and immediately several people were killed, but there were some survivors, and they were orphan children, but there were or- survivors who had been wounded, and there was this one eight-year-old girl that had been uh, s- severely injured, and she was bleeding provi- profusely. And one of the kids ran to where they knew there was a Navy doctor and nurse, and they got that Navy and doctor nurse, and they brought their medical bag and came to this orphanage and discovered this girl. And they realized that this girl didn't get a blood transfusion, that she was going to die. The Navy doctor and the nurse, the doctor spoke a little bit of Vietnamese, the nurse knew a little bit of French, and they tried to communicate to the orphan children that were there that their friend needed a transfusion, and neither one of them, after they did the blood type crossing, neither one of the doctor nor the nurse could provide the blood. It had to come from one of those children, and some of those children did have the right blood type. And they were trying to explain to them in broken Vietnamese and broken French and using hand gestures that this is something that they needed the children to do. And all the children just kind of looked at the doctor and the nurse wide-eyed, Uh, the things that were being told to them. And then there was one little boy who kind of raised his hand, then he brought it back down, and he raised his hand a little bit higher and brought it back down, and finally he raised his hand all the way. And the nurse asked him, what is your name? And he says, my name is Hing, H-E-N-G. And he says, I'm willing to do this. He let him know that he was willing to do this. And so they put the needle into his arm and began uh, pulling the blood out of his body. And as, as he was lying there on the table, uh, this young boy, this little eight-year-old boy, began to sob and began to cry. And the nurse walked over to him, and, he, and he, she says, are you okay? Are you, are, are, do you hurt? Are you hurting? And he says, no, I'm not hurting. 
But as he lay there, he, he, he just began to sob more and he brought his fist up to his mouth and was clenching his fist toward his mouth. And the nurse kept asking him, what is wrong? But he, he just wouldn't say anything. But finally, one of the villagers who had saw what happened came into the place of this orphanage and was able to speak Vietnamese and asked the boy why he was so, so, so upset. And this villager turned to the nurse and said, the reason why he's so upset is because he thinks that you're going to take all his blood. He thinks he's going to have to die for this friend. And the Vietnamese villager went over and told Hang and rubbed his head and and told him that, no, that's not what was happening. And he began to calm down and the sobs stopped and he had a great look of relief upon his face. And the villager asked Hang, she said, why were you willing to do this? And he said, because she's my friend. Folks, we have a friend that was willing to give us his blood. We have a friend that was willing to give us his life. I may never have a friend like that on this earth that's willing to give their life for me, but I have a friend by the name of Jesus Christ, a friend that one day on a hill called Calvary, a hill called Golgotha, a hill called the place of the skull, overlooking a trash dump in the city of Jerusalem, there he was willing to show how much of a friend I am to him because he was willing to die for me. He was willing to give his blood for me. And and the crazy thing about that, this was really before I was his friend, This was a time when I was a sinner. This was a time when you were a sinner. Over in Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 6, Paul makes a statement. He says, Christ died for the ungodly. And then he goes on and, and, and he shows the irony of all this. He says, you know, someone might be willing to die for a righteous man. If there was a man out there that was just really good and just really righteous and, and, and was living a sinless, perfect life and somehow or another you wanted to, to spare that person, then you might be willing to die for him. And the irony there is, first of all, that Jesus was that type of person. But then the text goes on and says, well, maybe there might be someone who's willing to die for a good man. Maybe he doesn't have everything just exactly the way that it should be, but maybe there might be someone willing to die for a good man. The story I told about Hang, that was somebody that was willing to die for another good person because that person was his friend. But then the text goes on, and here is the irony of it all, that It says, but God commended his love toward us while we were yet sinners. Oh, you might be willing to die for a righteous man. You might be willing to die even for a good man. But Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Jesus took away our sins. Jesus spilled his blood for us because we are his friends. Over in John chapter 1 and verse 29, 
When John the Baptist sees Jesus coming down the way to come see him and talk to him, John proclaims to all those around him, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Jesus was going to become a sacrificial lamb. Over in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, Peter reminds us that we've not been redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold that was a part of the lifestyle of our forefathers, but we have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb without blemish and without spot. You see, Jesus Christ died for each and every one of us because we are his friends. And the reason why I know he's a friend to each and every one of us, and the reason why I know he died for each and every one of us, because Jesus laid down his life for sinners. And there's not a single person in here this morning that is not a sinner. In fact, Paul puts it this way, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, he says, there is none righteous, no, not one. In verse 23 of the same uh, chapter, he, he says that all have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And even after we become Christians, we still have to deal with this nagging problem called sin. And so even after Jesus has died for us, that blood is there to cleanse us and to keep us clean in his sight. Because as the prophet Isaiah reminds us in Isaiah 64 and verse 6, all of our righteousness, even when we get it right, is like filthy rags when it comes to God. Because there's no way in the world we can declare ourselves righteous before God without the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, we have a friend, a very special friend that was willing to, to die for us. But as you read through the text, you also discover that Jesus wants us to be his friend. In fact, notice what the text says. There Jesus reminds us, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus was willing to die for each and every one of us. Jesus wants to be our friend But in order for us to become in a friendship relationship with Jesus, there is something that he expects from us. There are some commands specifically to open the door of friendship that has to take place. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, these are some things that Jesus wants you to pay attention to and listen to because he wants to be your friend. He wants to have a relationship with you. But until you obey these commands, there's no way you can develop that relationship with him and truly be his friend. Over in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. In other words, if we truly want to be followers of Jesus Christ, there are some things that we need to obey. Peter tells us specifically what we need to obey. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22, when he says, When you have seen, talking to Christians, when you see you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. 
Jesus tells us in John chapter 8 and verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. What is the truth that Jesus is talking about? What is the truth that Peter is talking about that purifies our souls? What is the command that Jesus is talking about, the commands that Jesus is talking about so that we can be his friends? Well, we start going through our Bibles and we discover that there are some things that we need to do if we're going to become a Christian. Over in Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 13, it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how then shall they call on him in whom they have not heard, or whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And then a little bit later on in verse 17 of the same chapter, Paul reminds us, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It all begins with a study of God's Word, and as we study God's Word and we discover about God and how much He loves us and how great and wonderful His mercy and grace is and how that He loved us so much that He sent His only begotten Son to die for us, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And as we learn about Jesus and learn about how He fulfilled prophecy, as we learn about the teachings, as we learn about His compassion as a friend to all, and as we learn about how He wants to be our greatest friend by dying on the cross to save us from our sins, we begin to develop a trust. We begin to develop a confidence. We begin to develop a faith in this man called Jesus Christ, our friend. Jesus reminds us in John chapter 8 and verse 24, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. In other words, you've got to believe that I am the Christ. I am the Son of God. I am the one that shed the blood that you could be saved. I am your friend. You need to believe that. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says that without faith it's impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Without faith it is impossible to please him. And that faith involves the fact that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But this faith should cause us to do other things if we're going to be Jesus' friend. In fact, it should uh, cause us to repent. The same Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 13 and verse 3, he says, Nay, except ye repent, you all likewise perish. There needs to be a change in direction. Uh, the actual word for repentance in the Greek is mataneo, and it pictures a ship heading in one direction and then makes a 180-degree turn and starts heading in a different direction. Repentance is pictured for us in the Bible as someone who is heading toward hell. He's going to turn that life around and it's going to start going to a different direction. That's heaven. And this applies to us all. Over in Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, when Paul's preaching on Mars Hill, he says there was a time that God overlooked the ignorance of man, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. If you are going to be a friend to Jesus, you're going to have to change your direction. But also the Bible tells us that if we're going to be a friend to Jesus, we need to be willing to tell others about him. We need to be willing to confess his name. We need to let people know where we stand on Jesus Christ. 
Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32, if you will confess me on this earth, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me here on this earth, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. Romans 10, 10, it says, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But still, the Bible doesn't stop there. If you're not a Christian this morning, you're not a true friend of Jesus Christ. If you want to be his friend, there's one final thing. There's the dividing line. There's the before and after picture. There's the thing that you do that you need to step over, in a sense, to truly become his friend. Last week, we talked about the last chapter of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, and then Verse 19, we pointed out the fact that the commission that the apostles received was to go out and baptize people. In that same commission in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, Jesus says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And so it's no wonder on the day of Pentecost when that very first gospel sermon was preached and the very first gospel invitation was given and the very first occasion in the Christian age for people to take on the blood of Jesus Christ and let Jesus truly be their friend. Peter is getting to the end of his sermon there in verse 36 and he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ, People heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter, because of the commission that he had received, he told them to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. You see, in order for us to have true friendship with Jesus, in order to us to have true friendship with God, We've got to quit being his enemy. We've got to have those sins removed. We've got to be in a right relationship with God. In other words, we need to be righteous because of the remission of our sins. And the only way that's going to happen is if you obey the commands. Only then, Jesus says, you can be my friend. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 24, uh, there are people who are criticizing Jesus. And one of the criticism they have of him is simply this. Well, you know what? That man, you see that man, Jesus? He's a friend of sinners. He's a friend of sinners. Many years ago, Will Rogers said, I never met a man that I didn't like. Well, folks... Jesus Christ never met a man or a woman that he didn't die for. In just a moment, we're going to be singing this song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And as we sing those words, I want you to think very carefully about what they are saying. I want you to think very carefully about the life you are living. I want you to think very carefully about how you need to respond as together we stand and sing.